0: Can spirituality and sexuality be experienced as one? And how can the goddess resurface, come back alive, rebirth us today to heal all of these painful wounds of the patriarchy so that we can be liberated to fully express her glory? Today, we'll be interviewing with Dr. Joanna Kuhawa, who is the author of The Other Goddess*. Mary Magdalene and the Goddesses of Eros and Secret Knowledge. Join us to find out more. The Soul Nectar Show
1: The Soul Nectar Show You're invited, delighted To discover who you are Anything is possible if you believe
0: join us on this beautiful journey soul nectar show. Soul nectar show. welcome 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 everyone for another episode of soul nectar show that show where we talk about all things essence where we gather around the campfire and we share our stories of that which is greater than us the mystery beyond the veil to those synchronistic moments that lead us inexorably into a deeper understanding of ourselves and the mystery that we are a part of And I'm your host, Carrie Hummingbird. I love having these conversations week after week. And today we are going to be talking about the goddess and the mystery and Eros and the awakening of your um, your connectivity with all that is. And this is an interesting topic to talk about today to help us with that. We have Dr. Joanna Kuyawa, who's here to talk about her book. And the book is called, actually, you can see it, it's called The Other Goddess, Mary Magdalene and the Goddesses of Eros and Secret Knowledge. And so, you know, secret knowledge, Eros, and we're all around this all over the world. I feel like now uh, many podcasts and people who are in spirituality are touching on pieces and parts and awakening sparks. And we're all... <laughs> Wondering where's the pathway in to understand ourselves. And we're coming through this dense, prickly forest of patriarchy and coming out of this history that's been thousands of years of suppression of this exact knowledge of ourselves, suppression of this exact understanding of ourselves as spiritual beings. And so we have a lot of suppression in our bodies, right? In our sexuality, in our. Understanding of ourselves, especially as females, our understanding of ourselves has been warped right? through these stories, um, partial stories and untruths and conditioning through religious structures and things like that. And even in culture, all the cultures around the world really hampering in a really amazing, synchronistic way. (laughs) hampering the feminine expression, hampering the known of art, right? I mean, it's like across all traditions. That's what I was reading in Dr. Uh, Joanna's book. It's like, wow, this is crazy how it's all over these traditions. And so how do we wake it back up? And so that's why we're here to have um, Dr. Joanna Kuyawa here with us. And so I'm so grateful that you're here with us and say hello and, and maybe say a little bit about yourself so people can know because I know that you're you're a spiritual detective you've got a BA and an MA in medieval studies you you know you've been studying this for a very long time over 20 years you've been an academic so you're a researcher you're I mean you've done the research and this is this is the book so tell us a little bit more though about you so my audience can understand your your story how you guys started with this why did you even pursue this topic (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> Thank you, Kerry, and uh, what a pleasure to be here. So that's a very interesting question, because, uh, yes, uh, how we tell our story, right? So that's very important. That's why I wrote this book, Via Goles, because I thought like I, I want to say it in a one particular way, because we can choose from different ways of telling our story, you know, how we structure our narrative, what are we focusing on? Yes, so normally people see me as an academic because I have a PhD and this is my job, this is my day job, right? But uh, it took me a while to realize, actually, in my mid-30s or so, that this is not who I really am. And this really comes with spiritual awakening. And for me, it really happened then. Although I was brought up as a Catholic, this uh, faith, uh, and I was trying to be a good Catholic, didn't give me any answers. So I started to move away from this. And I started to study other traditions. And although I didn't actually mean to turn into goddess traditions, it was a very spontaneous, as you would call, shamanic path, right? Because I I didn't say, oh, you know, like an academic, I want to study different goddess traditions. This didn't happen like that. It happened through spiritual experience, through spiritual practice, and basically spiritual exploration. That's why I like to coin myself a spiritual detective, right? Because I am investigating certain things, but not only in an academic way, I'm investigating my own and other people's spiritual experiences. And then I noticed, and maybe we can go back to my experience, which is, was very erotic, my spiritual experience. But I noticed that the feminine very often is left out pretty much in all traditions. When we talk about Western Abrahamic traditions, you know, major, three major Western religions, there's basically no feminine, except in Catholicism, which is this virginal feminine, Virgin Mary. So when I was a little girl and I was growing up in Poland, you know, I saw these images of this beautiful, divine feminine, but she was completely asexual. You know, this was unachievable feminine, which I think is actually a patriarchal construct. So there was a feminine, but it was a patriarchal construct because she is really like the, the holy mother. Right. That nobody can actually achieve. No woman can achieve in real life. And then I noticed that, you know, in the church, when I was going to a church, that there was this image of this other woman, Mary Magdalene, who is well known in Western Christian tradition, who was somehow close, you know, to, to the main figure of Christianity, Jesus. But also, and there was some kind of erotic connotation there, but also she was the rejected one, so to speak. And at the same time, so important that they couldn't get rid of her. So I felt like, that's very interesting with this woman, supposedly a prostitute. And we know for sure that it's not true because even the Catholic Church admitted in 1969 that there is no scriptural evidence for this. So we don't even have to you know, go through academic proof because they admitted to it, right? that she was a prostitute, right? And she was somehow extremely important, which may be my next book, for the process of ascension, right? Because she was there and they couldn't get rid of her, right? And there was a strong erotic element around her. But it was just a kind of youthful impression and I didn't follow up through this much and much, much later. But when I look back, you know, at my life and my spiritual experience, this was this realization of a mystery of the mystery of the other, that's why it's the other goddess, the other feminine, you know, not the one that was created by the patriarchy, as you know, the the Holy Mother, basically, the mother of the man's children, right? The woman who takes somebody else's name, who, you know, has a very specific role and she has to stay pure because the offspring has to be of this particular male seed, right? So this is the patriarchal construct. And then there was this beautiful, enticing, erotic, wise, mysterious feminine that we were not allowed to look at. And in fact, that it was suppressed, you know, because although she was there, because somehow they could not get rid of her, she was coined as a prostitute. So in my research, just moving in the research direction, you know, I realized that there was the whole lineage of priestesses and goddesses in many traditions spiritual traditions, and probably more than I explore, because I mostly explore Western traditions and Hindu traditions and Tantric traditions, the lineage of these women and goddesses, who are also priestesses, They possessed the secret knowledge that possessed the knowledge of ascension, and it was very strongly connected with what nowadays, in kind of New Age parlance, is called, uh, you know, sacred sexuality, but basically the use of arrows for spiritual evolution. And I thought, wow, <laughs> right? And claiming, you know, female sexuality as not only something that is, you know, giving birth to life, which is already amazing, but actually what help us to ascend and also move between the worlds, between death and life. You know, we are the portals. And there are shamanic, it actually started with shamanic traditions of early Hinduism, you know, that a woman's body, you know, especially a woman's sexual organs are the portal, you know, not only to life, but also to passages between death and life. And then they were worshipped. And, and uh, I thought that's an amazing knowledge that was hidden from us. So I kind of
0: dived into this. It. It's really fascinating when you wake up to it and that these things that we're taught to be so afraid of are actually the doorway to power. Mm-hmm. For example, I know that in your book, you talk about the serpent, right? You talk about the meaning of the serpent in the tree of life and what all of this is and how many goddesses are depicted with the serpent around them and but we're taught that that's terrible <laughs> like serpents are scary and it means hell and all this kind of stuff in the you know the uh, united states at least with christianity and probably, I don't know where else i just know my own family history and uh, it's really scary you know it's like this terrifying thing but then you find out actually that it's a guardian Of wisdom that is a guardian of the goddess and that it's there to protect and it's there to actually open up access to these other realms of consciousness, right? And that it's connected with the Kundalini, it's connected with this, the Hindu understanding of the Kundalini energy that flows up the spine. And that this is actually, we know this now that that's what happens the energy. And when you have an experience of it, it's pretty trippy. You know, when the energy is going up and down and up and down and up and down, you know, it's like, whoa, what's going on with this? But, you know, I was afraid of serpent for a long time, because I didn't understand this.
1: Yes. So I think it was actually an attempt to make whatever is actually a power, which is associated with the feminine, to demonize it, basically. And this is demonizing of a serpent, which is also Kundalini energy. But if you don't mind, maybe I would just go through this very quickly, through this lineage. So when we go through Western tradition, I start with the goddess Ninma, which is a Sumerian goddess. You know, and we have uh, um, carvings of her, which are like five, six thousand years old, which shows the goddess, goddess Nimna, who is sitting on a throne next to the tree of life. In front of her, there's a male figure and he has horns, so it's quite interesting because horns actually represent the moon, and she is the sun. So, you know, she was, because now we think that the moon is feminine because of the menstrual circus, but actually she is the main power, and the moon is receiving the knowledge or the power from the goddess, and it's a male figure, and there is a tree of life in front of them, in, in between them, which is also the portal between dimensions. It's quite interesting, and behind her, there is an upright serpent which represents, in my opinion, either Kundalini energy or some people would argue like DNA helix, you know, and she's ec- extending her hand towards him and she has a fruit in her hand, which is such a, you know, it is also explored in the Bible in many ways. She's giving him this gift of wisdom, of life, of something, you know, of higher consciousness, right? It's Goddess Nimna with an upright serpent behind her. And then there is Goddess Inanna. Which is, uh, you know, uh, a little bit later. Who is also associated with the story of resurrection? She actually resurrected herself. So she didn't resurrect anyone. She didn't need anyone to resurrect her. She was her own power of resurrection because she was, as if we know the story of Inanna, she was tricked to go into the underworld by her sister and so on. And then, you know, but she managed to to resurrect herself. And she often portrayed with a serpent in her hand as well and the serpent there it's called the axis of the world so again it's a transition between the worlds between dimensions between life and death it's a very mysterious symbol so and she's also called the first serpent who came up on earth so you know the power over this this energy this mysterious spiritual energy and of course, when we have goddess Isis, you know, who managed to resurrect her husband Osiris temporarily to conceive the child Horace. And I don't want to get into this because it's another book, but you know, actually Horus may represent a resurrected soul, you know, like in, in esoteric Egyptian teachings, really. Not as a child, physical child, but resurrected soul. And she's also portrayed with an Ankh. You know, people love the symbol of Ankh, but Ankh is a kind of a, combination of a tree of life, which is the wood, you know, the serpent kind of curling around it, right? So the serpent is there, but the Egyptian uh, and symbolism is very sophisticated, so we just kind of, you know, com- make it a little bit more complex. So we have a tree of life and we have a serpent kind of uh, curling about the tree of life and that's Ankh, so the serpent is still there. And then of course you have story of Eve which I didn't even explore in this book because you know I didn't it's a completely different topic which is also extending you know the gift of life, fruit to Adam, right. And she's told this to buy a serpent the story is completely reversed now. Now she's bad. It was bad, you know that she did it because now they are not slaves. You know what I mean? Because they disobey rather than claiming their own power. And in Gnostic teachings, you know, Eve is the one that basically, you know, says we are an autonomous beings, spiritual beings, right? And then, you know, when I was in a church in Jerusalem, the church of St. Mary Magdalene, it was an Eastern Orthodox church on the Mount of Olives. I saw this beautiful painting, which is apparently quite prominent in Eastern Orthodox Christianity of Mary Magdalene, not the penitent Mary Magdalene. Oh, you know, (laughs) forgive me, I'm not worthy. But she's standing in her power with her hand extended, just like Goddess Ninma, with an egg. It's not a fruit now; it is an egg, like a cosmic egg. You know, extending it towards humanity. And I know the medieval meaning of this. You know, which I actually think it's just a medieval uh, creation which uh, forgot the earlier meaning of this, which basically says that she went to the emperor and she said, if you don't believe in the resurrection, this egg will turn red. But I think it's a very naive medieval story because in fact, it proves that she's a part of this lineage of goddesses or priestesses, starting with aninima, as far as we know, right? Maybe earlier, but this is what we know from archaeological discoveries. With this goddess, female figure extending her hand towards humanity with the, in my opinion, the fruit, the egg uh, represents a higher wisdom. She is there. And when you think about it, you know, our civilization nowadays is completely, you know, going in the kind of technological way, right? So without the feminine, which is called the masculine brain, and we both have it, right? So it's not nothing against men. We both have masculine, feminine aspects to ourselves. So we are going towards now AI and, you know, everything logical and mechanistic. And there she is, the goddess, who right from the beginning was offering us a different form of wisdom. So I think that this is what Mary Magdalene is a part of this lineage, even in the West, of those goddesses. And, of course, the same goddesses existed in in Hinduism, you know, from the earliest uh, times, such as goddess Kali, for example, and goddess Sundari which, you know, there are high, powerful goddesses of transformation and sexuality is a big part of uh, beingness. Now, in fact, the goddess Kali resurrects the order to the world by riding Shiva, who was dying on the battlefield, you know? So there's, through a sexual rapture she brings back uh, order to the universe. So, in all tantric works. So, you know, for me, they are representing the same the same archetype of a feminine that is highly erotic and also possesses the deepest knowledge, the wisdom of the mystery between life and death.
0: Yeah, and we are healing now this patriarchal demolition, I would call it, of feminine sexuality, right? Female sexuality has been demonized. And so now in so many people's lives, realizing that that has been, Shamed and judged and guilted and and all this really heavy stuff on top of it, right? And our bodies. And now, in order to be free, these goddesses return, right, to support us in reclaiming our power. And and when that happened to me, I called on Kali. I didn't even know who Kali was. (laughs) You know, I was ignorant. I was asleep. I didn't know. Some part of me knew, and I was saying, "I need some help." (laughs) You know, and there was also this help all of a sudden and the acceptance of my sexuality and the, you know, it was a storm that happened <laughs> when it, when it woke up. Right. Because yeah. everything that was false in my life had to die.
1: That's right. But, and this is perfect. You know what you said is just perfect because goddess Kali is a goddess of sudden transformation. So if you call upon her, don't whinge later because you want it, you get it. She's there for you, but it, she will take away things from you that obstruct everything. So because now there's no waiting there, you know, she's the most powerful of all goddesses, you know, and highly erotic as well, you know. So the experiences of Kundalini uh, movement, you know, that are very highly erotic are usually associated with goddess kali Right, so she she she's just like a, I like actually, that you use the word storm because it's like an electric storm moving through your body, basically, right? And then she is, but you can call upon her only if you are ready for a full transformation. So, so that's a beautiful experience that you, you know, and and this is exactly this because when I was writing this book, I was extremely self conscious because you know a woman writing a book about women's sexuality and goddesses and then you know people think and there's so much also, and I don't blame people conspiracy theories about you know all kinds of dark sexual stuff going on which i'm sure it is because some people will know how powerful female sexuality is and they're trying to use it for their own ends not for a spiritual evolution but for their own ends when we have to we as women having this power you know and becoming aware of that power of our own eros you know the power of female sexuality we now can claim it and actually use it for the evolution of human consciousness and not for some dark groups, you know, doing some weird stuff, you know, to get some material goods or something like that. So I think there was always a group of people they knew, ruling people, you know, I'm really to be conspiratorial now, but when I study different traditions, that they really try to suppress this aspect of, you know, the feminine to start with, the feminine wisdom, you know, like old women's tales, like ha-ha-ha, right? And this is what happened also to shamanism, right? And female sexuality, because they knew how powerful it is. However, on the ages of almost any tradition, including Western tradition, which are usually very mystical traditions, or in Hinduism, it is the tradition of Tantra, these traditions were preserved. So when you study like the origins of Tantra, they're actually shamanic traditions of Hindu um, valley, and there women sha- shamans actually, and one of them was the daughter of. Uh, One of the first original sage, apparently, Triambaka and his daughter, half Triambaka, Arda Triambaka, started this tantric tradition of uh, what is called Kula ritual, you know, when using female sexuality for evolution of consciousness. And they started this tradition, and of course, all patriarchs will be like horrified now, because in this tradition of goddesses and priestesses, it is the woman that bestows enlightenment on men. So, you know, because usually we have male gurus, we have priests, you know, we have monks, we have, and, you know, and you have to apologize for being a woman. But in these traditions, mystical traditions and shamanic traditions of all religions, but on the edges, you know, someone you have to really dig into this, a woman is the one that conveys the enlightenment to a man. Like goddess Nimna in this, you know, pictorial from Sumer, right, when she is with the upright serpent, Right there, and she gives a gift, you know, of something which is higher wisdom to humanity, which is represented by a male. So, if you don't mind, maybe I would just move to experience now, right? Yeah. So I yeah. was uh, studying Kashmir yeah, Shaivism, which is a, a, a form of esoteric Hinduism, and it's a tantric school. But I was not exploring, you know, and, and I was reading with a translator of Kula ritual, who is actually a Catholic priest and a PhD in Sanskrit. And I was studying this for a year and a half with, with him, the translator of the Skular Ritual, which is a Tantric work, you know, um, from esoteric Hinduism, with a, a Swami and a Buddhist monk, And occasionally I had a yoga teacher whom I, you know, brought to the the class. We had a study group. So I studied this because I was very interested in this, you know, but I studied with complete devotion. You know, I didn't think I'm going to learn something about the goddess or I didn't, didn't didn't arrive at this point yet. You know, I just studied the tradition because it was interesting for me that arrows and the feminine, you know, were just so upfront there. And I realized that, yes, this is what, that this is all about women conveying wisdom through erotic ritual to men and then one day you know I was coming back home and I'm just being very open here right from a study group and I was spending a very the only one probably the only casual relationship that I had in my life at that time because I was getting over a very serious relationship you know and I just casually dating this man and he was waiting for me but he was also you know spiritually aware man and but I was filled with teachings you know I just came from the study group and I was completely devotional towards the teachings and I can be quite intense when I study something, you know, like I studied body, mind and soul, right? And when we got engaged, I didn't have any idea about, you know, I didn't want to have some sacred sexuality, we just engaged in an erotic act and suddenly, boom, you know, I felt Kundalini movement, you know, and when I later studied, people have the same experience, it's completely spontaneous, and I started to feel that kundalini energy moving through me and towards my heart, and then it exploded back. Like it was, I went into total bliss, but not only this, I lit up like a bulb. Like I was physically, there was a light around me, you know, like you have been paintings of, you know, mystics, you know. And then the man saw it, you know, and he was like, wow, what's this? Right? Like he was, but fortunately he had enough spiritual awareness to knowing that something very special is going on right and then after a moment of this the energy along my spine move you know towards my third eye and then then here and i it was a con it's amazing it's a conscious energy so it is almost me but much bigger than me you know what i mean like it's, maybe it's me in some eternal version or maybe it's some not even me i don't know and it pause, I could feel it, but it paused here. I like was thinking, okay, maybe you just have like a, you know, orgasm, or a, I'm going to give her total experience of total consciousness, divine consciousness, and it exploded. And suddenly, I was one of the universe. You know, all I see is like particles of energy. And this kind of experience, you know, you cannot just say. Some people ask me, how do you know it wasn't an orgasm? Well, it wasn't just an orgasm. <laughs> as good as it may be, it's not that good. You know, you are you, not suddenly in cosmic, one in cosmic consciousness and for days on the end, you just like, I couldn't function, you know, all I saw, it was just, I couldn't see like physical reality. I just saw energy moving around, you know? So it also renders as dysfunctional. So, and this is the erotic experience that you know the shamanic traditions of early tantra actually was passed from woman to woman, right, women who were obviously prepared for this like in in, in western language you would call it maybe priestesses and then you know it was suppressed like in all cultures it was suppressed but in the 10th century India there was a great philosopher kind of uh, Einstein of his own times, Abhinava Gupta who was very open-minded and he invited also women sages into his court Although it, he was a Brahmin and it was a very patriarchal society by then. And then, you know, he was interested in this, what is called Kula ritual. And in his in chapter 29 of his uh, work, uh, The Light of, on Tantras, he included the description of the ritual that Arda Triyambaka actually started so she can codify this experience so it doesn't have to be spontaneous. But there are certain conditions that we can create to invite this experience. We cannot cause it. But you can invite this experience and it is called Kula ritual. So, and it's been there forever, you know, it, he was just the one that wrote it down, right? Because otherwise this tradition was passed on from one woman to another orally, you know, and they would have like their own disciples or, but it wouldn't be disciples like many disciples. It would be like one aspirant, right? And who the woman thought, you know, that the energy would invite him to participate in this experience of uh, expansion of consciousness on the cosmic level.
0: I love it. You say it's an energy. It's an energy that you are welcoming in and that energy is conscious and that energy is deciding when and how, and and mm. all you can do Absolutely. is prepare yourself for it by practice and hope that it happens, but you can't really force it to happen. You have to just kind of like an orgasm. You can't uh. force that to happen you can yeah. try <laughs> and yeah. you can learn what you like and what you don't like. But this is, this is beyond that. This is like, this thing I happens have, whenever it wants, you know? Yeah. And I, I mean, it happened to me and I wasn't even, I didn't anticipate, I didn't know how to move my energy up and down my spine. I, that's not something I did <laughs> that just happened. Yeah. It just did itself.
1: Yeah. So that's exactly because actually, uh, I was participating in a Magical Egypt series when we interviewed people, you know, who had the spontaneous Kundalini movement, and it was actually, all of them were spontaneous, I should say, Kundalini movement. And it, and some people were really upset because some people practice like Kundalini yoga or, you know, aesthetic practices, and they said, like, when will it happen? And it just, it doesn't happen. So this energy is completely autonomous. And we can invite it or whether it decides that, you know, I don't think it's about worthiness. I think it's more about openness. And I do not even know what else. However, you know, once it happens and it it chooses you, let's
0: say. It chooses it you. It chooses you. And, and it's true. Like after that process, things started really opening up for me in a different way. And I just kind of knew stuff that I didn't have any reason to know. And, you know, it's like easier to tap in and just kind of get insights or get information, but it's not, I didn't like study any of those things. Most of the time, you know, I just kind of felt it in my body and listened. And then there was just information available, but I think that it happens. I mean, it it sort of chooses you that it's going to happen And, and I, I could make up a lot of stories about that, but I know what's the point of making up stories because we don't really know if any of those stories are true, but it just happens like that. And that is frustrating. I just want to honor anybody who's like been doing one of those practices for a really long time and it still hasn't happened. I'm sorry. That's got to be really frustrating, but that's also probably part of the journey, right? It's part of the journey of your own self-acceptance in your practice and with this goddess energy, this goddess energy that just decides when she's going to show up, when she's going to make things happen. And I think there's certain surrender there and, you know, and that
1: surrender there. And and also, uh, because we are talking about the errors because it is also highly erotic energy. There's also a sense of joy and bliss. And I think when, when we are maybe too serious about certain practices, maybe we block it because we think it has to happen a certain way. And regardless, is you know, she's just like, no, she will make it happen the way she will make it happen,
0: you know? <laughs> Even like the so, chanting, the chanting too. You know, I, I had this, I had a ceremony recently where I realized that the reason why a lot of enlightened beings like in India start chanting or have chanted throughout the years is because by the time you get there, all you need to say is a chant. It's just like, Rada, Rada, Rada. Yeah. It's like, yeah. that's all that's left to say. There isn't anything else. To say. <laughs> it's yeah, just like, it just, thank you, mother. Thank you, mother. Thank you, mother. And it just moves through your body. You know, this joy moves
1: through your body. So it's this kind of joy and pleasure, you know, which is so regulated in our culture or demean, right? Like look at like modern pop stars, you know, and, and so on, these young women. Are very sexual in very demeaning way. You know, they're asked to act certain way, right? And even imitate some goddesses, but in a really ugly way, demeaning, you know, what they actually represent. There is no kind of bliss and joy in this. You know, there is no surrender, you know, and, and this is, I think, a big part of this. And I think like the reason why they try to suppress it, is because you cannot control it. And most religions are institutions, organizations. And how can you control something that is completely uncontrollable? And I think it scares them because it is not controllable. And it is completely anarchistic too, right? It doesn't care about power structures and hierarchies. And, you know, imagine uh, religions that are all religions are basically based on this. So I reached the conclusion that religions have nothing to do with spirituality, really. And it's just a desperate way of grasping for spirituality while actually blocking spirituality. Because we are blocking the Shakti blocking the goddess, blocking this energy. And I think goddess is, is really a form of energy, you know, a form of energy that we we're, were suppressing or we asked to suppress. And that this aspect of the feminine, which also exists in males, you know, so it's nothing against men. You know, men have very powerful Kundalini experiences, but then very often they tend towards goddess, right? Because they knew it was this kind of joyful, you know, erotic experience. But it's not controllable. So religions basically have no means of dealing with this. And that's why perhaps they suppressed it. Apart from the other reasons, like patriarchy always suppressing the feminine, right? But also the idea that this is so powerful, it is uncontrollable, it is too scary. We are not going there.
0: Yeah, and I'm I'm actually thinking right now of Plato. And in Plato's teachings, there's like the, the little T truth and then there's the big T truth. And religion is like the little T truth. Like you're in the cave and you have a piece of fire. And so you mm. think you know the sun mm. and your little tea truth. But if you were outside and you would see the sun yes. and the sun is the goddess. And I think that's a, such a reversal, Joanna, like one thing that you bring up in your book, that is like, that's a total reversal of the way we've been taught. We've been taught mm. that the feminine is the moon, that the feminine is the reflection, mm. but it actually it's the shining light. And when, you know, this like embracing that, that opposite of what you thought about yourself is really difficult. And I know we're talking about men and women both have these energies, but there is like a glow when a woman is in her power and her sexuality and self-acceptance and sensuality, she glows, she radiates like the sun. And that is what attracts men. That is the, that is the thing that's attractive. And when she's depleted and tired, then she doesn't, she can't do that. And then everything goes off kilter.
1: That's right. And what is unfortunate, it's beautifully put, Carrie, but what is really terrible, it's and I noticed, you know, myself as a young woman, now I don't allow it to happen anymore, that, you know, when you glow, this glow, you are right. This is like a magnet, you know, for the masculine. But very often men who have no understanding of that, they are attracted to it, but once they get in a relationship with it, they try to suppress it, you know, because... They fear that or they want to control it or they just want it for themselves. And that doesn't work this way. So this is something that is really autonomous and it's glorious and it's carried by women. And that's why there were always these traditions on the fringes of all religions when women were actually the light, that women were conveying, you know, enlightenment to men. But I was giving uh, this interview, you know, on another podcast and it created like... chaos by you know some men who really couldn't accept it they said no 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 in in the bible it says this in something else it says that you know because all of these religions were suppressing it right so when you come up with this and it says it actually there is a path when a woman conveys you know cosmic consciousness through erotic means to the masculine you know there is a big uproar people cannot accept it but to belt, you know it is there and it is growing And I think we need it more than ever because I think our civilization really goes in the wrong direction, you know, completely masculine direction of direction of uh, artificial intelligence, prolonging our lives artificially, disregarding the soul, you know, disregarding eros or actually demeaning eros to its lowest level, right? Even using AI for sexual reasons, uh, means and so on. When there is a, we are, we have this wisdom encoded in this, but it all starts with cherishing the feminine. But I think we have to start also as women, accept it in our own bodies. You know, don't see ourselves through the prism of patriarchal imagination of how my body should be, how I should act sexually, how, what should I do. But in fact, we have to claim it from within. And it is a journey. It is a really a shamanic spiritual journey, you know claim my relationship with my body, claim my relationship with my own sexuality, with my own errors, with my wisdom, which is different than the one, like myself, you know, educated, academic, you know, from what I've been taught. So for me, it was lots of deconstruction and it was often a painful process. You know, so, and we have to take responsibility because yes, it is all patriarchy that did it. But I think at certain stage, we have to move away from the anger against the patriarchy and just, okay, so they did it. And now I claim my power. How am I going to claim my power? Because actually the survival of the species and our spiritual evolution depends on this power. So it's not enough just to be angry for other people suppressing it, but taking responsibility for feeling it, for using it and discovering within our own bodies and souls.
0: Yes. And getting really comfortable with our own, um, a sense of ourself as sexual beings, healing that Mm -hmm. sexual wound And reclaiming that power within. And its I believe it's very highly connected to the soul, as you mentioned, is that soul power, that soul light that flows through us, that imbues us with life. And it's like letting that part of us lead, that invisible part, right, of us take the lead. And these goddesses are here to help. Like I shared my experience with Kali. You know, I didn't even know who Kali was. I called on Kali and Kali came and everything fell apart. You know, I mean, the whole forest burned down. But I started off a new forest. That's the thing. When the forest burns down, the seedlings grow and they grow stronger. They grow a better forest. And that's what I'm experiencing now. And I, in your um, book, in the first part of the book, near the end of the first part, you actually recommend, you say there's four different pathways for arrows that a person could pursue and there's goddesses. And Sundari also said, like, if we call Krim, right, it's Hrim, and then you call him yeah, yeah. this. And so tell us a little bit more about that. Like how, if somebody wants to wake this up in themselves, Nate, maybe they don't want Kali. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because she will come and she will destroy it all. So, I mean, yeah, she will destroy it all. So be careful. You're going to be it.
1: <laughs> it's, it's wonderful, but you have to be ready, right? Because she will burn down the house. Okay? She will. <laughs> she'll tear me. it all down. <laughs> yeah, you, you call me. Here I am, you know. And you get what you want you know? So be sure that, you know, you ask for her when you're ready. So I think that uh, the goddesses are also uh, energies. They are the archetypes, right? So there is a goddess Parashakti, which embodies all of this. But then there are goddesses that embody everything else. You know, other aspects. So for example, in, in ancient Egypt, you had goddess Hathor. You know, so in my workshop, when I talk about Hathor, there are some women who identify with her because she's just this sexy mama, you know, like the fertile and she embraces her sexuality and men love her because she's always in this glow you know and she has enough power not to give it away you know just because she gets this is a, for example I, I, in my workshop i say this is the difference between aphrodite and Hathor because aphrodite loses her power in relationship you know she gives up she's beautiful and 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 sexual and disempowered in a, and once she gets into relationship, okay, because suddenly in the whole myth of Aphrodite he talks about all of the fall of a feminine once she gets into relationship. So she kind of gives into what patriarchy tells her she should be and she completely loses her power. In fact, she's been demeaned, you know, by human men, although she's a goddess. So it's the story of Aphrodite. When Hathor manages, you know, sh- she is that she doesn't give up her power. She is this kind of ultimate sensual feminine. And however, she kind of. Never challenges the patriarch because she's also the mother, you know, like, uh, so she she's like the ideal in, in a way, female from that point of view, right? But she claims her sexuality. And then there are other goddesses, you know, for example, goddess Sundari. Goddess Sundari is the Hindu goddess, which uh, unfortunately nowadays is also being demeaned, you know, but uh, because uh, like uh, massage, dubious massage parlors are called Sundari or beauty product, when in fact, products, when in fact, she is the goddess who truly possesses her sexuality, but she's much more spiritual than Hathor or Aphrodite because she's a goddess of three worlds, also. So it's Lalita Tripura Sundari. And I always advise people you can say only Krim, which is when you focus, when you sit down in meditation and you bit Krim, Krim, you know, because this is the seed mantra, you know, in Hinduism for Sundari. But I prefer. So- Something much more essential. Uh, and uh, it, it, uh, by calling her own name, you can even do it when you walk, when you dance, you know, when you, by yourself in your, uh, in your room, you know, it's Lalita Tripura Sundari, Lalita Tripura Sundari, Lalita Tripura Sundari, you know, like you actually start when you do it, even now when I'm sitting, you can actually feel energy moving through you, a very sensual energy, Lalita Tripura Sundari, you know, you call upon this. Sensual, beautiful, but powerful energy, Lalita Trikula Sundari, because she's also the goddess of the free worlds, which means she transcends dimensions. She's like on the highest level, but descends upon this is feminine, which is fully sexual and fully empowered, who lives in different dimensions as well and is happy to embody within you as well. You know, so you call upon this energy to embody you. So you can either use the seed mantra, which is Krim, or you can either prefer to call her full name Lalita Tripura Sundar, because Lalita it means divine plane, the divine plane of consciousness, you know, which is in in, in her sec- sensual aspect. And in Tantra, it is believed that everything is just a plate of consciousness. It is not good, it is not bad, it's just like a Shakespearean play, right? But in, in with Lalita Tripura Sundari, it is a sensual play. It is your sensual relationship with everything. It doesn't have to be just with your partner or partners, you know, it can be relationship with your work, it can be relationship with your life, it can be relationship with your spiritual path. You know, so you bring up on the sensual aspects. So for example, even when I walk in nature, which I think is one of the most spiritual meditations anyone can do, right? And I repeat the name Lalita. Tripura Sundari, and suddenly, you know, birds are singing, you know, or I'm open to, you know, like, hear birds singing, you know, they come up to me, you know, like, they nature responds to this. Nature responds to sensuality, and it is an interdimensional goddess. And in uh, it is happening on the, uh, the f- fourth part of my book, when I come back to Kali and, and Sundari. So I maybe tell the story of Kali, how she became Sundari, in my interpretation of a myth. Because in uh, Devi Mahatma, which is an ancient tantric work, Goddess Kali was created through the third eye of Goddess Durga when the world was uh, overrun by demons. So Durga wanted to create basically like a nuclear bomb. This God is Goddess Kali, right? Like now we have to destroy evil because she was fed up with evil going on in the world. And sometimes I think we can relate to what's going on nowadays, right? Everything is going in a weird direction. And, but Kali, you know, was so good at this divine fury, so to speak, to destroy evil, that she lost her discernment and she started to destroy everything. Because once you, and that's a spiritual lesson of Kali, once you start to destroy evil, you lose your discernment because then you think everything is evil, right? And she started to destroy the good. She decided to destroy the gods and goddesses until she saw God Shiva lying on the battlefield when she just wounded him. But because it is a tantric story, he's lying there on the battlefield, super handsome, because Shiva is always super handsome, you know, in all the presentations, (laughs) and, you know, with beautiful eyes and with his penis erect, you know, because it is tantra. And she falls in love with his beautiful eyes and starts to ride him. And as she rides him, she brings back balance into... To the universe, so to speak, of a divine feminine and divine masculine, and she starts to feel love, and she's transformed then by this love into Goddess Sundari. So the sensual aspect of her and her ability to give up fury for love turns her into Goddess Sundari. So it's almost like a, a sensual representation of Goddess Sundari after her own transformation. So this is when we give up the anger, you know, even if it's righteous anger like fury, you know, patriarchy and then you become Sundari, you know, by calling her name, you know, because now you embody that supreme power and by embodying the supreme power, you do not buy in into what you should or should not be, right? And then your goddess Sundari. So I highly recommend actually on just repeating her full name, Lalita Tripura Sundari.
0: Beautiful. I will add that to the show notes as well. That's Beautiful. Thank you so much. What a gorgeous conversation. I think that um, many of us could resonate with being Kali you know, at some point during this journey, being righteously angry about everything. But yeah, it's coming into this, um, this piece with that and the balancing with the masculine and coming into our personal power, really owning it and owning our journey, no matter what is done to us. We are now allowing this um, healing to move through us, for us, for all of us. And it's going to benefit all of humanity that we are doing this work, this inner work to heal the feminine for everyone. And this is what I think is going to uplift humanity is all of us taking this, this work to heart and coming inside. Thank you so much for um, all that you shared. Is there any, uh, I know that I'm going to put a link to your book. Is there anything else that you'd like to invite people to know about you or to connect with you somehow? Oh, thank you, Terry. So I have a Facebook
1: page, public Facebook page, which is Dr. Joanna Kuyawa, which is K-U-J-A-W-A. I think it's on the screen here as well. And I'm also on Instagram, which I started relatively recently. So, and I have a small YouTube channel where I have some videos there as well. So, and I love connecting with people, you know, I love connecting with people. So, you know, please uh, do not be shy about it. And of course, as you said, you know, we are the goddess because I buried my soul and my body, right, in this book. And also, I think it is a kind of lesson for all of us, you know, what kind of narrative of yourself you claim. And I, in this book, kind of spontaneously, shamanically decided to claim this one particular narrative, you know. And it turned out to be very empowering and very enjoyable. You know what I mean? Claiming this part of myself rather than hiding or being ashamed of. Uh, and, you know, it takes some courage, but I think it, it, it is completely worth it. You know, choose your own narrative.
0: Yes. Choose your own narrative and get a copy of this book. It has so much uh, really beautiful stories in it and also really beautiful scholarly information too. So if those of you want to learn more about the goddess in all these traditions, it's a very helpful book. So everybody share it out, please share it out and share it out with somebody that you think might be interested in some of this wisdom Give them a link to the episode and and give them a link to the book and and share this wisdom out. You know, let's all uh, support the rise of the goddess. And uh, we're going to give kisses now. Would you like to join me in giving everyone kisses? We're just going to give kisses now. Okay, everybody, here come your kisses. Mm -hmm. Love you guys. Thanks for staying all the way to the end. And I'll see you next week on Soul Nectar Show. Bye for now, everyone. If you found even one gold nugget in this episode of Soul Nectar Show, will you do us a favor? Will you subscribe, like, and share this episode? Maybe even write a comment and let us know what you thought about it. We really, really want to engage with you at a much deeper level. Let's be part of community together. Have a great week, everyone. Bye for now. To dive in deeper to nourishing conversation, visit soulnectar.show. Soul Nectar Show, awake awake, the Soul Nectar, nectar. take a Soul sip nectar from the chip of the nectar, the the nectar, of the source of